This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. So this morning, um, we're gonna. There's a lot of things going on in this story, um, and you know, there's there's the obvious uh, uh, speaking, uh, talking back to Gabriel didn't go so well for Zechariah. You know, there's like kind of that. Um, there's also uh, some prophetic stuff. Um, there's some things kind of swirling around uh, with Elizabeth and um, just culturally where she was uh, lowly. Um, but we're gonna. I think that this, as I thought about this story and I tried to sort of weave some of these things together, uh, it's really stood out to me the difference between Mary's interaction with Gabriel and Zacharias. Um, They both kind of asked, like, how how will I know? Like, they're both like, whoa, what you just said was crazy. I mean, I know I'm talking to an angel standing in front of me. But but how am I going to know? How is this going to work? And, and Gabriel responded to Mary last week with like, let me explain. Like the Holy Spirit is gonna create life in a way that's amazing that you have no idea. And, and Mary was praised for believing. Like Elizabeth showed up and, and said, wow, blessed is, is Mary who, who believed the things that Gabriel said. And here's poor old Zachariah. And he's like, wait, how is this gonna work? And Gabriel's like, whoa, dude, I came from the presence of God. Why are you questioning me? What is your deal? And there's a huge contrast there between them. And, I, I, and what most commentators, I think, is, uh, as we try to make sense of all of Scripture, uh, there are a lot of times in, in Scripture where, where an angel shows up and the person has a question and is sort of like wanting to know what is going to happen. And, and, and almost never do they respond with, with sort of a punishment. So there must have been something going on in Zachariah's heart that we're unaware of. There must have been something going on. His words may have been saying the same thing, but there must have been something going on in Zachariah's heart that we were unaware of. He obviously didn't believe. He doubted. And we're going to kind of explore maybe why that was and hopefully learn from him. So this morning we're going to be talking a little bit about dealing with doubt. Because he's, both of them are asking very similar questions. Both of them are asking very similar questions, but there's something going on in his heart different than Mary. And just the contrast between that is an example for us. So this morning we're talking about dealing with doubt. And their first point is basically right question, wrong heart. We look at discipline that comes from love and we're gonna end with the lowly rejoice. The lowly rejoice, which is the name of our series and we'll, kinda, we'll probably come back to that um, for the rest of the month. So right question, wrong heart. Let's look at sort of what's going on in chapter one right here. We just read, Verse eight says, now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So every day at the temple, the Levites, which the Levites had grown, there's a lot of them, so you couldn't just, so they had like divisions, they broke them up 
and they kind of just rotated in and served at the temple when sort of their division was there. And David kind of broke them up earlier on. You can read about that in the Old Testament. But they, they would come and serve at the temple for an allotted amount of time. And uh, there's a lot of activity every day going on at the temple, daily sacrifices, daily burning of incense. And the temple is, is made out of uh, basically three layers. So you have the, the largest layer where they would uh, burn the sacrifices, uh, where they would have ritual washings. You have the, the holy place, uh, which, which is where they would, they would actually burn incense. They would walk into the holy place and they would burn incense on the right. And then over here is the holy of holies. Only the high priest could enter that once a year. So this is like the very presence of God. And, and twice a day, they would actually burn incense, morning and night, in the holy place. And they would stand there, and this would be the right next to them would be a curtain, and be the holy of holies. And the, the Ark of the Covenant was in there. The uh, Aaron's staff was in there. And there, they, there was such a holy space that part of the Levite's job were to protect the temple from people who were defiled, potentially touching it and dying. So just the aura around this place is, is, is one of a little bit of fear and awe because this is where, where God resides. And so here comes Zechariah. He's actually, it, it says that him and his wife, uh, verse six, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So, so, so these are, you know, to use an anachronistic term, these are good Christian folks, you know? <laughs> they're, 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 they're coming to church. They're, they're, uh, he's there to do his job, to serve at the temple. And I don't know how they did this, but they drew straws or they, they, they he, it was like, hey, Zechariah, it's your turn to go into the holy place and during, the, during the time of incense and offer the incense, which, which is a picture of prayers that go up before the Lord. And what the, what, the, what the Levite priests were to do is they were doing that on behalf of all the people. So he would walk into the temple, into this holy place. There's a chance he may have never seen the inside of that. This could be his first time walking into the holy place. And as the priest, he was called to offer up a prayer for, his, for the people to be redeemed, for the people to be rescued, to petition God on behalf of the entire people. And he's, he's, who knows the, the sequence of this, but he's burning the incense and I can just imagine him praying to God that God would rescue the people as everyone outside is also praying and waiting for him. On the left is the Holy of Holies where he can't even like, no one's in this thing with him. He can't even peek in there because he'd fear of his own death. And then all of a sudden, as this like weight of this on the left, Holy of Holy Temples, he's praying, an angel shows up on the other side, on his right and says, hey, the prayer that you are offering to God on behalf of all your people, I'm here to let you know it's been heard. Of course he was afraid. <laughs> like, <"Whoa." laughs> like, I can't even leave. I have to go through the angel and here's the Holy of Holies. And he's, he's scared. He says, fear fell upon him. I can't even imagine what that was like. He'd have been terrified. <laughs> and I just, I mean, just even thinking about the grandiose nature of his prayer on behalf of my, the whole people. I mean, just imagine if you were at home praying for Emmaus and you're like, Lord, I want, I want the thus to be a light to the city. I want, I want nations to draw in to worship you. 
I want there to be so much transformation because we worship God that Denver is a totally different place and an angel shows up and says, hey, we heard. (laughs) What? (laughs) You know, if Cole told me that would happen, I'd be like, well, bro, you know, let's talk about that. It's like, that's crazy. But this is what happens. He says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You know, we don't know what was going on in his head. We know what the Levites would typically do. He could have been asking for a child at that time too. I'm gonna venture to say that he had given up on that. I'm gonna venture to say he was old and had just kind of given up on that. It says, a prayer, your prayer has been heard. You'll, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink strong wine. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's room. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And will go before them the spirit and power of Elijah. And then he ends with this. He says, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He's like, I'm, your son is gonna prepare the way Prepare the way for the Lord to arrive. Yes, Lord. To, the, to the one who will rescue your people. You're, the, the thing you're praying for, your son is gonna prepare everyone for that to happen. And it's, I was kind of, I was like, okay, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And I, I, it was hard not to like think, so like more responsible dads, you know, less single moms. Is that like, is that like how there's preparation there? You know, is that, is that like a big part of preparing the way of the Lord? And it's interesting, and I, if you're writing in your journal Bibles, uh, it's at the end of Malachi. He's actually quoting sort of the conclusion of the book of Malachi. And the book of Malachi is only three chapters. So I would encourage you to read that and notate every time some kind of familial relationship is brought up. Father, son, son, father, the fathers, husband, wife. It comes up in the book of Malachi a bunch. Basically, the angel is saying, hey, I'm quoting and summarizing the book of Malachi, and I'm letting you know that the one who is to come to prepare the way is gonna be your son. And in the book of Malachi, it's interesting. In the very middle It says, a faithful husband and wife. What does God want from a faithful husband and wife but faithful offspring? Faithful offspring. And it's interesting to me that the angel is saying, hey, your offspring is gonna be the one to prepare the way. As I quote all these things around Malachi. And here is Zechariah, old. We know that Elizabeth was actually known as the barren one, like called that. Like that, that was like how her community recognized her. That's painful. Like if you were just known by like what you didn't contribute. And how intimately wound up is that and how God has created women? Like that's the most, that's about as insulting as it can get, but as painful as it can be. And, and I say that not from my own personal experience as a dude, but I'm married and we've struggled with that. 
And that's hard. Not being able to have children is suffering. It's difficult. And here is Malachi saying, what do I want from faithful husband and wives? I want offspring. And the angel shows up and says, hey, Zechariah, your offspring is gonna be the one to prepare the way. Everything about Malachi is gonna be fulfilled in your kid. You don't think at his age he was tempted to be like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right, Lord. I've been, I've been faithful for how long? I've been doing all the right things. You called me righteous and just. And now you're telling me? Now you're telling me I'm gonna have a kid? I don't know what was going through his mind. I don't know where his heart was at. I know it wasn't in the right place. He had doubts. He had doubts. He said, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. When has that ever stopped God in the Bible? How familiar would this priest have been with plenty of miracles of birth? It's almost like he's saying, no way. It's been forever. Prove it to me now. I think he was bitter. That's very possible. We're speculating a little bit. What we do know is his heart was not in the right place. Here he was in the Holy of Holies, not the Holy of Holies, the Holy Place, next to the Holy of Holies, with an angel in front of him, praying for his people as he should be doing. And the angel shows up and says, hey, look what's gonna happen. Your prayer is answered. We're gonna prepare the way for the Lord. And for some reason, something about how long and how old he was, something about the fact that they didn't have children, he was doubting what God was gonna do. He was doubting what God was gonna do. He had the right question, the same question as everybody else that asked the angel, but his heart was in the wrong place. And I think about where we doubt God. If you think about where we doubt God, situations where we're waiting for something that we think is good, and, and I think if you go back to Malachi, not only is it good that faithful marriages produce faithful offspring, that's, it says even that's what God wants. Like that's something he desires. When we want something so bad, especially when it's a good thing. I mean, this is, this is more difficult when it's a good thing. Over time, we're, if we're not careful, we begin to reflect that on God himself. We begin to reflect that on God himself. We begin to doubt that he's good. We begin to doubt that he's wise. We begin to doubt that he's powerful. We begin to doubt that he cares. And it's easy to go through the motions. It's easy to, to be a good Christian person. <laughs> Yet deep inside, 
our hearts are in a place where we're questioning God himself. We're questioning the character of God because we haven't, we've been in a situation for a long time. We haven't got the thing we wanted. He hasn't answered a prayer. There's, a, there's a, a, this, this painful vine of bitterness that can grow up inside of us that can then be reflected at God himself. And I think if we deep down doubt the character of God, an angel could show up and announce something to you and you could be like, how do I know? Which is really what he did. Um, Stephen Charnock kind of gets to this a little bit with a quote where we replace these things um, with God and how kind of teaching us how offensive that is to God. He says, he that loves pleasure, and we could put whatever we want in there. He that loves his house, he loves his bank account, he loves his schedule, he loves his peace and quiet. More than God says in his heart, there is no God but his pleasure. Whatever you love more than God, whatever you desire more than God himself, deep down, in the the depths of who you are, in the spiritual center, the core of your being, you're putting that thing up as your God. So here's Zechariah. in the temple, like the very presence of God, visually manifested, speaking with an angel. And the details of what's going on in his mind, <laughs> we saying just earlier, hearts unfold like flowers before thee. <laughs> like what is down here, God sees right through it all the way. He's in the very presence of God and he doubts. He's put something else in the place of God himself. And he's done that because he doubts the character of God somewhere, some way. So the angel steps in and gives him some discipline from love. I wanna look at uh, Hebrews real quick. Hebrews 12 verses five and six. So I think this is a, a good example of what's going on right here. It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, this is from Proverbs. Hebrews is now quoting Proverbs. Zechariah would have been aware of this. My son, do you not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. I think that's a little bit encouraging because Zechariah got a pretty brutal act of discipline. It says that he, uh, verse 20, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you don't believe my words. Because of your doubting what God would do, the actual Greek word there, he is, and we'll see this later, they have to sign to him because he's deaf and dumb. Like he can't hear or he can't speak. God is like 
exiled him to nine months alone with his thoughts. He wished he heard that baby. (laughs) Yeah. That can be rough. I remember a trip back to Texas when I wasn't a Christian uh, and also when there wasn't internet all the way there. (laughs) So that's how, it's a while ago. Um, My CD player like overheated. (laughs) I don't know what the deal is. Maybe because I installed it and didn't do it very well. But between like Lubbock and Dallas or, or Lubbock and like, I went through the middle. So there was like, I didn't even get to Dallas, like Lubbock and San Antonio. I had nothing. I was alone with my thoughts in the middle of nowhere, Texas. I, it was rough. I don't think I had like ugly cried for that long since my grandpa's funeral. Like, I mean, I was in rebellion. I wasn't following the Lord. I was reject. you know, I had got my, I mean, I just, all I had to think about was all the things I had done wrong with my life. And I, I was a brutal, embarrassing. It's like someone probably drove by and was like, what is wrong with that man in the car? <laughs> my mom was like, why did you sleep the first two full days you got here? And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but think about this. Zachariah had to sit on that. The angel's like, we're going to do it. I mean, it didn't take long before he knew his wife was pregnant. But there he was, requesting God to step in and save his people and miss the boat for some reason because of bitterness or something, unbelief of some sort in his heart from doubting the character of God. And now he sits alone with his thoughts for nine months and thinks about that. That's a long time. But that's discipline that comes from the Lord for Zechariah. Like he's a righteous man. He, he believes in what God is doing. And I think that's encouraging and scary at the same time. Like just because we're outwardly good in some way, shape, or form doesn't mean God isn't carefully working personal discipline for us. Doesn't mean he's crafting every little detail of our lives to reorient and change our hearts down here. I was thinking about how God is very particular about how he disciplines his children. And it's hard not to think about JJ at home, like how I talk to him and how I discipline him is very different than how the Lord would discipline me. I get to sit in time out for peace and quiet for a while. Awesome. You know, like, JJ's like, I have to stop doing the things. I hate this. You know? But in the same way, we would, we would be particular and we would care for our, like, our children imperfectly. Like we're not even like that wise or as loving as him. And we're still careful to treat baby Eva different than Quinn. Even you guys do that because we care for them. Think about how much more loving, think about how much more wise, think about how much more 
amazing that, that God has care for us and would see our hearts drifting and would see the bitterness grow or would see us think of him in a way that's not appropriate or, or put something up on a pedestal that we worship as God when, when he is the only one who is all fulfilling and all glorious and all wonderful and he steps into our lives like we step into a kids and he carefully, lovingly disciplines us for exactly what we need. That's how he works. Here's the important thing that about his discipline that comes from love is he has a purpose for that. He has a purpose for that. He wants us to see him from the heart, not from our mouths, just our mouths. Like we can say, we'll all say good things about God. Pretty typically, you know? Very rarely will we speak poorly about God, even if we believe it deep down. But hearts unfold like flowers before him. And he knows. He knows everything that's in there. And he knows that and he disciplines us because he wants to reorient the deepest levels of our hearts around him. He wants whatever that thing is that we think is better than God, he wants to remind us that it's not. And that doesn't come easily. He, he's, his purpose and his loving discipline isn't just to lower us, isn't just to, to make us feel bad. It's to change us deep down to see him for who he is. He's holy. He's the fountain of all life. He's always good. He's perfectly wise. He hasn't made a single mistake in how he's orchestrated every single minute of your day. And if you're in Christ and you trust in what Jesus has done on your behalf, it's not because you were so great. It's because he loves his son that much. The, the beloved son that we're gonna continue reading about in all of Luke, he loves the son so much that he would look at you that way and say, this is how I'm carefully, lovingly disciplining you so that you could see me for who I am. So that you could be satisfied with having God as God because that's the only thing that can truly satisfy. I think another reason why he does that is because if we are think about this if we think about God inappropriately like if we're like why is he doing this is he annoyed with me if we think about God inappropriately like he must not really love me because of this situation if we think about God inappropriately and say this seems kind of dumb I mean, again these are things we may not say out loud but if we have a, a misapprehension of God, if we think of him any less than he truly is, will we want to go to him when we're suffering? Will we want to go to him when we're struggling? Will our first instinct be to go to the Lord who is arms wide open, wanting to give us wisdom and encourage us in his character? I mean, think about when you're frustrated when you're at the end of yourself, when you're looking ahead and there's 18 scenarios and you're like, man, I can't even pick a top three that I think will happen. Or when your day is spinning out of control 
or when your job seems less secure, or when you're worried about something. Maybe it's just a potential. Isn't that when we're tempted to go to things less than God? (laughs) Isn't that when we take things of the world and say, this is what's going to please me. This is what's gonna give me peace. This is what's gonna bring me joy. These are the things here that I'm going to. Part of the reason why we do that is because we don't think of God as he truly is. We don't believe that he is better than the pleasure of this world. Deep down, we don't believe that. We don't believe that he still loves us even though we're the ones that got ourselves in that situation. So we don't just go to him, we go to something else. We really don't believe deep down that he's all wise and brought us the exact scenario that we're in and wants us to come to him and say, Lord, give me wisdom to approach this thing that you've put me in. If we don't think of him as he truly is, we're less likely to go to him. We'll go to something else. I was reading about uh, a missionary, John Patton, and he is writes in his biography. He was, uh, I mean, this guy like he like basically like the first part of his biography is like basically like, the, all these circumstances have come up, and you're like, whoa, God really worked that out so that you should go on a mission trip. He goes, no, I'm gonna pray on it. Like, no, like this crazy situation happened and this, he's like, well, I don't want to jump and assume. Like the guy is just like, I'm not going anywhere unless I'm absolutely certain that I've spent enough time praying about something. And so all of that happens, crazy scenarios, prays on all these things. And his friends are like, dude, it's obvious. You don't need to pray on it anymore. Like people are exhorting him (laughs) to just move forward. And he finally goes on this missionary trip, takes him, I think four months on a boat to get there. Like he talks about all his friends and like people that he was on the boat with that he led Bible studies. He did like, talk about GC. Hey, we're stuck on a boat for the next four months. Hopefully we all don't die. We'll do regular worship at five o'clock, you know, (laughs) assuming we're not in a storm. Four months later, he gets there, begins to build his house. Long story short, it wasn't a good time of the year. It wasn't a good time of the year. His wife and child die at the beginning of his missionary. And in his biography, he says, I would waste words if I tried to explain the pain that I was in. And those of you who know this kind of pain, no. Those of you who don't, I can't explain it to you. Doesn't even try to explain the level of suffering he's in. This is what he says about God. I have a quote. He said, it was very difficult to be resigned left alone and in a sorrowful circumstance, but feeling immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and too loving to err in anything that he does or permits, I looked up to the Lord for help and struggled on in his work. Immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and loving to err. Wow. Because he believed that about God, he actually went to him for help. Those islands off of New Zealand are still one of the most Christian places in that part of the world. 
He didn't know the language of the people that he showed up to. Like it's textbook revival. God is disciplining us so that we would believe who he really is. He wants you, he wants Zachariah, no matter if he's waited forever for this thing that he thinks the Lord owes him, even if he's bitter about it, in the middle of worshiping in the temple in the presence of an angel, God wants those whom he loves, he disciplines them because he wants you to be immovably assured that your God is too wise and loving to do anything wrong with your life. Amen. So that you would then turn to him. Because that's where joy is found. So after nine months of learning that lesson, of being alone in his thoughts, they signed to him about the name And all of a sudden, he can speak in here. <laughs> like, they're already confused about the name thing. Like, hey, no one in your, your relatives are named this. He said the, the discipline that's come from love so that he would be reassured of who God is. And they're like, his name is John, and he can hear <laughs> Interesting, what if the baby crying is one of the first things that he hears? The thing he was bitter about. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the same way we talked about last week with Mary, he's focused on, he's rejoicing in, he's celebrating his joy, his peace. Everything he's, he's oriented towards is towards God himself. But he has a little twist. Look at what he says in verse 60. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn for salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He's, he's fulfilled all the things that, that were spoken in Malachi. He spoke by his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies at the, the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers, the, the mercy, and to remember his holy covenant. His commitment to his people. That's what he's praising God for. He is committed. He's assured, unmovably assured now. No doubts that God is committed to his people. That regardless of the circumstances that are to come, that he's wise and loving and, and I don't have to doubt his character at all because he's so committed to us. says in verse 74 that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear serve him without fear why do you think Zechariah might be happy about that I mean he was kind of a fool in the temple like the worst place to be a fool it's a dangerous place to be a fool in the old testament to serve him without fear. Think about where the temple is now. It's in you. 
the spirit dwells in his people. You are the temple of the living God. This is where he's present. How many of us show up on a Sunday, go to him in prayer with thoughts about him that are insulting to him? How many of us say the right thing, sing the songs, joyful, joyful, while we're frustrated that he's not working? He's doing things wrong. Regularly. How does God stand for that? That would be hard. He answers that question. He knows. Look at verse 77. It says, he's gonna, his child's gonna prepare the way. How is he gonna prepare the way? to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Amen. That's how. That's the salvation of his people is in the sphere of. How is it possible that we could go before God and he could be so determined to be loving and wise and caring and committed to us? Why would he rescue Zachariah, when he's profaning the very character of God in his heart, in the very place and presence of God in the temple. We're, we're, in the temple, God has struck down others for doing less than that. It's like God is unwaveringly committed because salvation comes in the forgiveness of sins. Salvation comes in the forgiveness of sins. God knows the, <laughs> your heart is unfolded like a flower before him. He is not unaware of these things. That's why we celebrate. That's why we proclaim. That's why we say the gospel is beautiful because Jesus Christ showed up and was 100% committed to the character of, the holiness and trusted in the father. He did everything we couldn't do. And he took the punishment for us. He, he died on the cross and suffered. He was hungry. He was tired. He was betrayed. He had his friends leave him because you have a poor attitude about worship when you show up on Sunday. Because you think other things in the world are more satisfying than the creator of the world. That's why he suffered. Gladly. They look forward to the glory that was set before him. He, he celebrated the, the rejoices over his people. God, God is actually through, a, through the faithful marriage of the church and, and our savior Christ, guess what? Holy offspring to worship and praise him for forever and ever. He's determined to make you love God for who he is. Amen. He's determined to reorient your heart that's so backwards to see God as God and not the things less than him. He's determined to do that. He's started the work. He's gonna complete it. And that's what he's doing. In our Advent guide, 
I may, I may butcher this because I'm just going off of memory. We said, uh, how much do we rejoice in the Lord? And how highly do we think of ourselves? Those are related questions. And we might think, well, I don't see myself very high, highly. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm you know, I'm medium. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so, whatever. Or I feel like below average, maybe above, depending on the day, right? Like, no one's going to be like, I'm pretty sweet, you know. Um, I guess some people, but. But ask the other question. How much does the salvation, the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has offered, cause you to rejoice? If it doesn't cause you to rejoice that much, it's because you don't think you need it that much. If you don't think you need it that much, because you feel like God should probably love you that much. The the good news is that he knows all these things. He's not surprised that you don't value him. He sent his son because you don't value him. He, He left the glory that he had with the father and took on flesh so that he could do all of these things and so that God could now be unwaveringly committed to your good, to transforming your heart, to drawing you closer to him so that you could have more joy and peace, so that you could rejoice more in the glory of God. And if you want to rejoice more in the glory of God, if you wanna rejoice more in what Jesus is for you, ask yourself, Where do I doubt God? Where do I think he's made a mistake? Where do I say, if he loved me, he would X? And then realize what you're saying is, shut up, God, I know better. I know better. I would do this differently. Because that's what we're saying in our hearts. And he's saying, I love you. You're wrong. I'm wise. Come to me. Rejoice in what Jesus has done for you. Because every time you insult me, I turn the other cheek. Every time you reject me, I move towards you. Every time you doubt what I'm doing, I want to give you wisdom. That's the kind of unwavering commitment God has to you in Jesus Christ. And the more we're honest about what's going on in here, the more we'll, maybe we don't, maybe some of us need nine months of being in our heads. I don't know if I would survive that. Definitely need the Holy Spirit on that. Maybe we need to 
take some time to reflect. Maybe we need to, you know, here's, just give you a handful of things. We don't have to wait till God disciplines us. He will, which is awesome, because sometimes you're like, I don't know. Am I, what am I, what am I doing? God is a good father. He'll come and he'll bring discipline. He'll draw you near to him. He doesn't need you to know exactly. But if you feel like you're doubting God somewhere, if you feel like you're projecting on him something about who he is that's not true and that's leading you to turn to something else and not to God, I would encourage you to do a few things. Dwell on how good he is. Think about his character. Just think about his character. Think of the patience of Jesus in Luke and know that that's the patience he has for you. Think about how faithful he is to Israel when they just, we have like a giant section of our book telling us how they go astray like all the time and how he's still committed. Think how committed he is. Just dwell on his character. Spend some time thinking about how good he is. Another thing that's always good is lean into scripture. That's where his word is most clear. Scripture is where you get wisdom. Scripture is where you find conviction of your own sin so that you could rejoice in what Jesus has done. I thought this was good. Sometimes the things we take pleasure in the world distract us from God. And when we have a lot of things that can bring us a measure of joy, it tempts us to avoid God. So maybe you need to throttle back some of the worldly things so you can just consider God more. Replace some of that with prayer. Go to him. Go to him more. And then another one is, the more you continue in sin, knowingly, the more you project wrong things on his character, knowingly, the harder your heart gets. The more difficult it becomes to go to him. So stop. Ask someone for help. Confess. But the more you ignore it, the less you're going to love God, the harder it's going to be. But don't forget that in all those things, whether you're dwelling on his excellencies, leaning into scripture, praying instead of indulging in the world or stopping something you need to stop. None of those things determine God's love for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. Like you're not gonna do all those things right even this afternoon, this week, next week, but he's committed to you. We're gonna spend the rest of this month celebrating the fact that he took on flesh and did all this stuff for you. And then we're going to see as we walk through Luke for the, the, up until the summer, we're going to see the character of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're going to see how committed he was. And you should know that that's how committed he is to you if you believe in what the Son has done, if you trust him. If you say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He's committed to you. Remember that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we are humbled by 
just your patience and your grace with us, Lord. I, um, and your, it's a, Jesus said that the spirit comes to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we, it's a blessing if we feel conviction of sin. It's the spirit at work humbling us, Lord, making us lowly, preparing the way for rejoicing in the Lord. Pray that we would not fight that. I pray that we would accept conviction. And I thank you that if we do that, we know that you're for us. Your loving Father has given us your Son so that we could enjoy you more than any of the things you've created. And I pray that that would be where our minds are at, fixed on your glory and your majesty. Thank you for this morning and thank you for a chance to reorient our thoughts even with song and with communion and with the word. Um, you, you know that we can barely go a week without utterly forgetting about you and you've given us a rhythm of, of reorienting ourselves around you. Help us with that. Help us, help that last. Help, our, help give us times during the week where we stop and reorient ourselves and praise and worship you. We, we dwell on your character and we pray for you and thank you for what you've done, Lord. Or we turn from our sin. Help us with that as we, even as we go from here. In your name I pray, amen.